I like how it always says, do you do I want to leave the meeting <laughs> now that it's being recorded? Y'all not recording me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, exciting, exciting. All right, so I can hear everybody. Jackie, say something else. Testing one, two, three. Okay, I can hear you. Good, good. Uh, Amber, you're good. Quia, what about you? Testing, testing. Good. Yep. Okay. Yep. Everybody is good. I'm excited. Oh, I forgot to say. So I got the little one up here. So uh, might be coming in and out of the frame. I got her good right now. She she got the phone, and so she is cool. But when she get bored, oh man, I don't know what's gonna happen. So we just gonna hope she stay right there. Um, but yeah, and then we'll just edit that. So uh, yep, so cool. Well, we are here, y'all. Welcome back. Podcast where we keep one foot in the academy and one foot in the streets. Uh, back again with another episode. Super excited about this episode right here. It's been a long time, um, a long time coming. It's our first time going um going live on Facebook too. Tried to do do something different. Um, because I've been seeing all of these different, like I saw a couple of different. I know uh Evidence for Social Justice, they be going live on Facebook. Um, I know Sid, Sidney Freeman, we had him on, he, he was on episode two. He did Decolonizing the Black Evan is Mine. Um, did, did y'all see that, that Decolonizing the Black Evan? Oh, man. I have not. It's on my, it's on my to-do list. That joint is cold. I can't, yo, that joint is cold. It, I'm talking about diamonds after diamonds. So, yeah, that was a good one right there. Um, but I know they did the live thing. So I said, let me let me see a Street Academy kid. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, y'all ain't going to leave Street Academy out, because we about to be jumping on live, too. No, what you mean? What you mean? So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, 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 we here live. So hope y'all enjoy. Please um, definitely leave comments and um, questions in the chat so that um, you can ask uh, our special guests as well as all the co-hosts um, any questions or comments that you have. Um, and we'll try to make sure that we get those in um, during the episode. So with that being said, my name is Jonathan Paul Grant, AKA John Jeezy, AKA John Grinzel, Jay Greasy in the building. And uh, that's me, one of the co-hosts of Street Academy. One day I'm going to have as many aliases as you, John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jackie. Um, you can find me at Jackie Demission. And uh, I'm also known as Dr. Hater, rightfully so. Absolutely. <laughs> and I am Amber Camila. You can find me on Instagram at Amber Camila. Um, and also relearn underscore everything. Mm. Relearn. And we talk. Oh, by the way, you can find me on at J. Paul Grant. Um, on Instagram, JPG, J-A-Y space P space G-E on Facebook, um, website, www.jpaulgrant.com. I need to update it, but yeah, you can find me there. Um, also, Relearn Everything. We talked a little bit about that on the last episode. Uh, it was a special commercial we had on that, so make sure y'all go check that out uh, on the last episode. And as you can tell, uh, if you've been tuning in and watching us and and rocking with us this time, we have a, uh, uh, an extra person here, uh, a special guest, a good friend of mine. I've been knowing this sister for a, a long time. 
um, since undergrad, Oakwood University, shout out Huntsville, Alabama. Um, on each other for a minute. Super, super brilliant, beautiful sister. Um, and I'll let her introduce herself, um, but she's going to be dropping some knowledge uh, on us and just having fun with us. Cause y'all know we, I mean, Street Academy, you know, we, we dropped the knowledge, but we be acting ratchet too. We like a ratchet <laughs> mix of righteous and ratchet. And I know a queer, so I know she could do both of them. Cause we done hug out before, we done hug out in Philly, we done hug out in Atlanta. So I, I, I know she can get down with the right um, direction. I was at her. Um, so she gonna have fun with us today. Uh, we're definitely gonna be dropping some knowledge and some diamonds. Um, and so I'll let her introduce herself. Uh, go ahead. Hello, Street Academy family. Uh, my name is Dr. Aquia um, Kate Watton, and I'm a licensed psychotherapist in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, I see individuals and couples in my practice. I love what I do. I get to sit front row in transformations. Uh, so many people are changing their lives and I get to be a part of that. Um, you can find me on Instagram, aquiacatebwatton.com. Also my website, um, aquiacatebwatton.com as well. For sure, for sure. So we're going to be asking a few more questions too. Um, all of us probably have different questions about um, what Aquia, uh, what she does, and basically how how uh, how she got to this place. Uh, but Dr. Brighton, um, I mean, she she kind of being modest in her intro, but I mean, she. I didn't know how deep we were going. <laughs> like every every other week, I'm seeing another interview. She's being quoted in a magazine. She's being interviewed in another magazine. She on this podcast. She on this radio show. Um, she got all of these different, you know what I'm saying? All these different clients. There's just so much, so much that, you know, that she's been doing and, um, and her work, you know, definitely she has a passion for us, a passion for, for our people. Um, and, and that's what I'm really, really excited about. Um, you know, and, uh, and we're going to go there. We're going to, we're going to go through, we're going to go through all the things, but, um, one of the things that's very important for here on Street Academy podcast is that. Oh, our theme is that we keep one foot in the academy and one foot in the streets. And so one of the things is, you know, all of us in some way, shape or form are attached to academia, attached to, um, attached to, you know, what they call the ivory tower, attached to these institutions, um, usually through research or teaching or something like that. But at the same time, we also have a passion for community work. We have a passion for grassroots organizing. We have a passion for being in the streets and being wherever our people at whether it's in the, you know, in the higher ed institutions or, you know, in the trap houses or in the churches or in the, you know, on the, you know, at the corners, on the corner stores, in the driveways, you know, uh, just wherever, community, you know, centers, wherever our people at protests, uh, concerts, wherever, we just like to be there and just study and, and know and, and help and learn from and, and teach, you know, teach and learn from our people. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about you know, although you have your academic side, what are some of the things that you involve yourself with on the street side? What are some of the things that you involve yourself with on the community side uh, that makes you um, definitely a person who I would consider a perfect uh, candidate for like Street Academy? Yeah, I, I think education. I, I do my best to, I, you know, I've been doing this for some time. Um, working with people. And I, I think in the past five years, I've recognized that sometimes we just don't know. Mm. What we don't know, we cannot do. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I think one of the, the, the tiers of, of what I like to do and what I feel is a part of my calling is to educate people about me- mental health, mm-hmm. educate people about emotional health and how that integrates with their spirituality. Because right. so many people in our community hold fast to spirituality, but sometimes neglect their emotional health. And so being able to find the integration of those two, I think was very, very important for me in my own life. And then also I think with the circle that I I, uh, find myself in. Mm -hmm. And so now I I do as much as possible to be uh, a psychological expert, whether that be in media, whether that be in print, whether that be in research, whether that be in, you know, sisterhood circles, uh, the group chat, wherever it is, (laughs) right? Uh, I do my best to to try to educate people about their their mental health and the importance of caring for their being. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Oh, well, you talked about just that 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 religion and that spiritual part. <laughs> that's real. That's real. I think that's a whole nother. We might have to have you back on a whole nother episode because <laughs> I don't even think we really touched on that. I think we've talked about it on a few episodes, but never really touched like really just went into that religious piece. Mm-hmm. So we might we might have to get you back on that one because um yeah we definitely need to delve into religion and spirituality and how that affects black people and how that can um help our mental health but also how it can disrupt our emotional and mental health. Um, mm-hmm. So so that's an important piece. Uh before I find out if there's any questions from um Amber Camilla or Jackie, um I want to I just want to get an idea of how you got to where you are. So tell us your story. You know what I'm saying? Just take us through, you know, um, how you, you know, maybe from your experiences growing up, um, where you're from, you know what I'm saying? So we can kind of get some context there where you're from, maybe, uh, you know, your ethnicity or, you know, maybe if you travel and then how you got to the point where you are here, you know, an expert in your field, um, a counselor, um, a person who is, is, is contributing and helping us all maintain our mental health. Um, how did you get, you know, to that point? So just kind of give us a background in your story. Sure, sure. I'd love to. Um, so my family is from Ghana, West Africa. Big up Ghana. Um, I was born and, born and raised there and, and moved, migrated um, in their early 20s um, to pursue a life that um, was wrapped around education and God. And they found themselves in California and had myself and my two older sisters um, and so I rep Ghana, but I also rep California West Coast all day. <laughs> okay, West Side. Yes, yes. Um, yep. so, yes, I was born in Fresno in the Central Valley. And, I was gonna say, um, was you riding around in the in the uh, in the drop with the drop top with the, <laughs> with the joints going up and down like on the Snoop Dogg video? Was that you? In the background? That definitely, that was not me. I was adjacent. <laughs> I was adjacent to that, but you know. <laughs> we it wasn't present. You wouldn't know in there. Your, your daddy said, You ain't going down there. No, 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 no. We kept Good it real, life. real tight in church. We kept it real, real tight in vacation Bible school, right? Uh, right. So that was the other situation. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, I'm born and raised in, in California and, you know, just in a, an, an African home as a first generation, you know, a person just really learning that work, hard work, really learning that that service, um, really learning that your community is everything. And um, you are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. Uh, I, I found that, you know, growing up, 
um, I always wondered why we called everybody auntie and uncle, even if they weren't related to us, right? Why do we call people sister that weren't really our biological sister? It's really the mentality, I think, of um, not only the tribe that I'm from, but also I think the culture is that we are all one, we are all family. And so I think that's really at the bedrock and foundation of, of who I am as a person. Um, and so continued um, through school, um, went to private school, um, Christian schools um, throughout my childhood, and then found myself at Oakwood at HBCU, life-changing experience for me, um, just to be in a space with young Black potential people all together trying to make sense of it and trying to find out how we're going to impact this world together. Um, and so I, I did biology undergrad. I, I had set out to be a medical doctor. That was my plan, but God's plan was bigger than me. Um, and I decided to finish out that degree, but move towards psychology because I knew I wanted to, to be able to help people's hearts and heal people. Um, but it took some time for me and, and really, really learning about how I wanted to do that um, and paired that with psychology. So I got my master's degree in, in, in um, clinical psychology and moved to my PhD in marriage and family therapy. Um, I, I often tell people that I think it is so important to love what you do. Mm. People feel it. Yeah. People feel it. And so I believe that I was born and I am purposed in this area. This is what I am on the earth to do. Mm. to help, help, help people heal themselves, to help people understand themselves, to help people to ascend to the highest version of who they are. Um, and so that's, that's really what I do. Uh, I, I've always also thought that it was important to, to teach. Going through my PhD program, I recognized that there were not a lot of people that looked like me. Mm. And as a result of that, um, I found myself and, my, and my, my, my peers having to band together to understand, mm. to, to grab resources, mm. to cheer each other up, to uh, make sense of things that we did not understand. And so I always knew at the end of this, I need to be the person. Mm. I want you to see me and know that you're represented here, that you have a safe space here, and that you can do it no matter what anybody, when anyone else tells you. And so um, I think that therapy was important to me to be able to do that for people, but education was also important. And then lastly, um, the educational piece is not only in the classroom. We are in a world where people take information in so many different ways, and largely it's outside of the classroom. Right. And so um, why I think doing interviews is important, why I think being able to be published is important. Doing research is so valuable. Is because there is a space that we get to make for somebody else that's coming behind us, mm -hmm. right? And then also to normalize what's going on in, I think the black community right now is pivotal in our healing. And so that is how I've kind of come to where I am now. I'm in Philadelphia practicing. Um, this was a city I kind of just chose because um, my, my PhD program was here. And so I'm doing, I'm doing work here and I'm excited about it. Wow, it's, it's, it's so, many, so many questions I have just from, just from that, but I don't wanna go, I don't wanna talk too much. I wanna give uh, the other co-hosts an opportunity to ask any questions. 
but yeah, I just got a, I got a bunch of questions just off the intro. Uh, anybody I, got any? I do because <clears throat> you know, being a grad student, um, John and Amber, you can probably attest to this as well from grad school that you, on one hand, you hear so much about how grad school impacts your mental health, and I think that is kind of an interesting. Um, like notion to wrap your mind around for you who as someone who was in like a, a grad program that had largely like largely to do with mental health and like working through um what it means to go to therapy and just to practice good mental health habits so i was just wondering what your own journey with mental health was in grad school how did grad school impact your mental health and like how did you process that as someone who studied mental health mm. That's a very good question. I think that um, grad school definitely impacted my mental health in significant ways. Um, <laughs> this was the only, I think the only environment where I, uh, I, I learned to question myself. Mm. Unfortunately, mm. I learned to second guess myself. Mm. I learned to um, sometimes even devalue my own voice and opinion. Mm. Um, and so in these, in these ways, um, I was learning how to downgrade and to silence my own voice as I was also learning how to shape my own voice and amplify it and make it louder. Um, and so what was required of me was to have a circle of people that got it. Mm. It was so important that someone can look me in my eye that looks like me and say, I did it, you can too. And so finding mentors was really important to me, finding people that had already been through a process um, in academia where they may have had a lot of stress and pressures upon them to, to perform, but then also not be supported at the same time to, in order to perform. Um, and so I, I had to get that support outside sometimes um, or with my cohort or the people that were alongside me. Um, Self-care practices, went up and through the roof, right? Finding time to rest, finding time to relax, finding time to pause and to not be on was really mm. valuable for me. Um, my weekends were really, it, it was really important for me. My Sabbaths were really important for me, 24 hours where I was able to just rest and not use my mind um, became pivotal and really, really important. Um, and then most importantly, being able to envision where I was going was always a part of my practice. I put pictures up of black women in regalia and teaching and just like, just beautiful, amazing, talented, educated, intelligent women that I could literally physically look at, look at as I was studying in order to envision myself in that place. So all of those things became really important to me. Um, most importantly, um, that, that circle of people around me. Mm. I have a question too. Um, it's, you mentioned a little bit about how within your family, within your culture, you call everyone sis and brother and auntie. So I'm wondering how do you see, um, your own culture, your Ghanaian culture or your tribal culture impacting your work as a psychotherapist or informing your work? or inspiring. Yeah, I think that that um, parts of my work are informed by culture in that um, the way I see psychology, I think is informed my, by my culture, the way I see a human person, 
right? Um, in the way that I, I sense that all, all human people have capacity beyond, beyond what they realize. And mm -hmm. so sometimes I'm holding space for people in, in spaces that they're not even aware of for themselves. Um, I think that the way that I think about intervention is also impacted by my culture. I think about um, connections with people. I think about, even in, as I'm talking to my clients, I'm often saying, talk to me about your family, right? Talk to me about um, the people that are in your life, your tribe, right? So I may not say your tribe, or sometimes I do. Um, and being able to have that, that tribal mentality, that village mentality is a part of my intervention, typically, mm. um, where appropriate to, to, the, to the client. Um, I think also, um, family being really important to me and I think a part of, of culture, um, whether good, bad, or indifferent, family is important. And so I think that really led me towards marriage and family therapy and thinking about the system and not just the person, right? And how we can improve the overall mm. system with which we are rearing children and moving generations and legacies forward. Um, comes definitely from my Ghanaian culture and knowing the importance of elders and um, mm. wisdom givers and all of the things that have made me who I am. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yo, I got a, I got a question. Um, before we go into the topic, unless anybody else has any other questions, why did you choose an HBCU? Uh, I mean, come coming out of Fresno and coming yeah. out of California, like, like you you leave in California, you know what I'm saying? Beaches. <laughs> I ain't never been to California, but I, I heard Fresno is beautiful. Um, it, so you leaving all of that to come to the hot, yeah, south, <laughs> get clay dirt. Uh, with what every March, April, May, we all walk around with toilet tissue because the the pollen, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. What would make you leave beautiful California to come to some small HBCU in the in the country backwoods <laughs> in your life? Like, what tell, tell us about that story? You know, I there's a simple answer, and then there's a probably more complex answer. Um, I think God led me there. That's okay. that's what um, my sisters had gone to that school before me, which was pretty influential. Um, but I think what led our family to make that type of choice is really the the community that I was raised in. I went to a black church, um, and went to a private school that was predominantly white, but found refuge and safety in the black church that I was a part of. Um, and so safety, community, um, just personhood and development was always really, really um, found in the Black community. I think that it was just a part of, of my soul um, mm. to be developed among people that looked like me, right? I think it was even more important for me because of the environment I was in that had probably, I was one of two Black women in my class um in high school um one of four i think four black people all together um and so i did not have a lot of space in an academic setting that celebrated my um, consciousness my uniqueness my blackness 
And so uh, HBCU was a perfect place for me to be able to cultivate those things. I don't think I could have said that before I went there, <laughs> but as a result of graduating and then being alumnus of Oakwood, I know that if it were not <laughs> for that environment, I would not be me. I would not love me in the way that I do. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think I would be able to be a champion for our community in the way that I am now. If not, if, 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 if you if, didn't go to HBCU. If I did not go to HBCU. Gotcha. And that's a unique story to me, but, um, and it may not be for everybody or it might be for some, but that definitely, it, it, it led me and I think was, was important. Cool. Dope, yeah. dope. <laughs> this, this, this is about to be a good, good conversation. Anybody <laughs> else, any other thoughts before we, before we jump on in that thing? Let's go. Jump in, let's go. <laughs> let's let's go. Yeah. Listen, y'all. Man, 2020, some people say throw it in the trash. Some yeah. people say it's done. Some people like after Kobe, you know what I'm saying, and all of that, then we moved from Kobe to COVID, and then it was just like, you know what, throw, throw 2020 in the trash. Now, some people saying that, hey, you know, this this is a time to, to, to you know, re, you know, reevaluate what's important. You know what I'm saying? Spend time with family and you know, do things that you may not have had the opportunity to do. Some people say, you know, COVID, um, you know, if you leave out of quarantine and you ain't did something new, then what did you spit? You know, then it's your fault that you haven't done this and this and that. While other people say, well, maybe I just needed this time. You know what I'm saying? To just rest because, you know, the past however many years has just been crazy. Um, you know, I, I know for me personally, um, and I guess we can we can all all kind of talk about um, how you know this quarantine and COVID has kind of affected us, and we're gonna take that and then talk a little bit about the social protests, particularly this summer, which I think this summer is gonna go into the history books for real, as as like something like a bloody summer, you know what I'm saying? And we talk about during the civil rights movement or like the summer Sam, like I feel like summer 2020 is gonna be in the history books. So I definitely want us to talk a little bit about that and then transition that into the back to school and you know what that means for us and our mental health throughout that whole piece. But um, COVID and all of us can kind of talk about what this year has been to us, um, the good, the bad, the ugly about this year. Um, and I know for me, and I guess I'm kind of getting a getting a free. I, I do need to set up a, an appointment with my therapist, but I guess I'm kind of getting a free mental health session right now since I got you here. I might as well try to try to make you know what I'm saying try to get something out of having the having <laughs> therapist here. But um, I've been to more funerals than I care than I've ever like mm -hmm. than I've been to in my entire life, um, and and that's mm -hmm. really hurting. Um, it's having an effect on me for real. And mm -hmm. so, and I'm just being open. Like I've been to maybe one to two funerals every month since COVID, like since March. Mm -hmm. um, wow. People that I know that were close to me, some of them were really close to me and some were just people that, you know, like I knew them, like we was cool. And I'm having a hard time. Um, me and God been having some for real conversations. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but this ain't cool. Like, like you taking away, all, like at one time, this don't make no sense. 
it reminded me of that 21 Savage interview. I don't know if y'all ever seen 21 Savage's first interview on The Breakfast Club, but I had to listen to it again just to make sense of my own life because he was talking about him coming from the streets and into, you know, into the industry. And, you know, he had a rough life and got kicked out of school and joined gangs and all this other kind of stuff. But then at the very end of the interview, I don't know how it came up, but I think Charlemagne asked him about the people in his in his life that had passed away. Hmm. He started going down the list and it was like his brother and his cousin and his best friend, his, hmm. like his best friend that got shot on his birthday and killed and his somebody else he knew got shot right now. It was like, I had counted, it was like 16 people. And this dude wasn't even like maybe 20, 21. And from his teenage years to like his adult years, he had, he had known 16 close people, not to mention just re regular close people that got killed in gun violence. And mm -hmm. so then you hit, and he like 20, 20, 21 years old at the time. And then you wonder why his, his music sound the way it do. Or you wonder why he might react the way he do. And it's like, man, like this, this dude doesn't seem more depth than some people in their whole life. You know what I'm saying? And, and I had to listen to his interview again to make sense of my own. Cause even though it wasn't to that extent in terms of numbers, I was feeling that way. Like death seems to be all around me. I found out about one death two weeks ago. I found out about another death last week. I'm scared to go into this week cause I don't know who gonna pass away that I know. And so, mm. I don't know. For me, that's that's one of the that's one of the things that COVID, one of the negative effects of COVID for me is this has just been too much death that I've just been dealing with. I ain't never had to deal with it like this. So yeah. I don't know if Can we just have a have a moment of silence for yeah. all those who have been Yeah. I just feel like I think that's one thing that um like hearing you, John, talk about how some people talk about trying to make Corona like an opportunity and saying things like, you know, if you haven't come out of this with a skill or if you haven't, it's just like, it's so our grind culture and capitalistic mindset. It's so, it's, and, and it's just not empathetic. And it's just like, there has been, there have been hundreds of thousands of deaths around the world, which means, and I, anytime I think about that, I think about the collective grief that's happening upon the earth. So if any of those people at least knew 10 people, <laughs> We're going to get a million people grieving all at once. And of course, if it, any of those people knew at least 100 people, you're getting 10 million. And so it's just like for there to be such collective grief on the earth that says something about what's happening in our space, you know? Um, and I don't think we, we, we honor that enough, how much sadness and how much grief is here right now. So I would like if we could just take a moment to just have a moment of silence for all those who have been lost to COVID and to other, to other causes in 2020. So, Al, can we take a moment of silence? Okay. All right. I'll share. I'll share. Uh, damn. Anybody else? Uh, what, what kind of, just everything that's been going on in 2020 it could be something positive it could be something uh maybe some challenges um but just some thoughts about what's been going on in 2020 that um maybe has been affecting in a positive or negative way your emotional or maybe mental or maybe even physical health yeah i mean i i was 
I was really, um, what's the word? Like uh, happy that we were bringing this topic up in this medium because I think 2020 has been so heavy. Um, not only the grief, um, condolences, John, to, to you, um, but with the expectations of normalcy and for us to continue to press on and even exceed what, <laughs> what we did in previous years, um, given the fact that we are in a global pandemic, which I think in and of itself, you know, we, we can stop there. Like if nothing else happened in 2020, yeah. COVID would be more than enough for us to wrap our heads around. Right. Um, but then layer on top of that, there's so much other stuff um, going on, um, the, racial, the racial uprisings that have started here and then have, you know, gone global. Um, but, you know, I, I think about um, two things for me personally. One, um, I, I suffer from anxiety and I didn't realize that I like had something called anxiety until I started going to therapy. Um, and it's so funny because I think back to me being a kid and like different ways that anxiety came up for me as like a five and six year old that my parents obviously weren't thinking about like, oh, this, this kid has anxiety, but were definitely exacerbated when I went to graduate school. Um, but going into this summer, I felt fine. But then last month, things got real crazy with the, with the anxiety. And so I had to like step up some self-care stuff. Um, and so I, I think about how many folks are just like dealing with not having social interaction, not having a sense of normalcy, um, and just trying to like make sense of all of this mentally. Um, and then I just think about how many things that you know, we mark our time by, by looking forward to, you know, whether it's the barbecues or the brunches or just like the things that we, you know, have that mark our time um, that we just didn't have. And that also creates a sense of, of grief or mourning. Um, I realized a couple days ago, today, actually is Sunday the 23rd, next Sunday would have been my wedding. And, you know, we plan like, of course, you know, people plan like these big grand weddings. And um, over the past few days, I've really had a sense of grief about it, even though I didn't have it for the past several months. There's just so much other stuff on my mind. Um, but then, you know, just in the past couple of days, I've been like, wow, you know, I really would have been, you know, packing up my stuff and, you know, having the parties, like it would have been a celebratory time. And this point in time, August 23rd, 2020 is anything but celebratory. Um, so, you know, I'm just thinking about that for me personally, but how many other people have those same sorts of experiences of, birthdays or anniversaries or just trips or just you know special events that they were looking forward to um or maybe the the more everyday events that you're looking forward to um i know that fall and winter is really hard for me like missing out on that sunlight 
And so knowing that, you know, we're about to go into the fall, but not really having had the time to really do the summer stuff, not the time, but just, you know, every outside is closed, <laughs> you know? So not really having had a summer, it, it kind of feels very odd going into the fall right now of not having that like joy that usually builds up during the summer from having fun and those sorts of things. So those are some things that I'm thinking about right now as it relates to mental health. There's just so much. <laughs> I just feel like, and, and, and I just feel like, uh, well, what I know, it's not just a feeling. Everyone is experiencing 2020 so uniquely, mm-hmm. depending on just the unique aspects of your, of your life um, and how your life is set up um, from if you have small children um, to if you have college age children, if you were already kind of working from home, or if, of course, you weren't working from home, if you work the type of job where you have to be there, um, to like the age of your parents, where your parents are, where your loved ones are. It's just so many little things that just completely shape and can impact this experience. And I mean, even like you said, Jackie, like you were planning on getting, you you had planned a whole celebration that <laughs> it was the joining of your life partner. That was made, that's major. <laughs> and you had to cancel. I mean, it's just, it's just so many things. I, I mean, for me, I'm in a major transition in my life and the transition happening while the pandemic is happening just exacerbated the, the, um, the stress of it all and um, the need for stability and that desire for stability because now, you know, if my life is already somewhat unstable in some ways, then now the entire country and the entire world <laughs> is also unstable. And so it just makes, and, and, the type of person that I am, security and stability are, are really important for me. And so it just feels, it just has thrown me off tremendously. Um, I feel like I'm beginning to become more stable. However, with that, you know, the election is coming up and <laughs> no telling, you know, just as I'm trying to like, be like, okay, I'm getting used to the masks. I'm getting used to the stuff. And maybe, you know, things are beginning to happen. And then it's just like, when November hits, we don't know what's about to happen. And whatever decision it is, either one, it's going to be some crisis, either one, because we know 45 ain't giving it up without a fight. And that's going to be a thing. And if he does get reelected, then that's going to be a thing. So it's like, I'm just not sure what to anticipate. And then I don't, I just um, saw, was it yesterday or today? Um, This it's called, um, wait, what is it called? It's called when our, um, it's our overshoot day. It's Earth Overshoot Day. Have y'all heard of this? Basically, it's the day in the year when um, humans have used up all the resources that the Earth cannot reproduce within a year. And that day was yesterday for the Earth. So <laughs> it's just, um, and the name of the project that does it, um, you could just go to overshootday.org. Um, but one of their missions is to try to move that date back, you know, so that humans don't keep using all the resources that the earth can produce in a year. So that just, <laughs> I just learned about that. And I'm like, what is happening? And granted, I don't know what the, I'm sure they have some data on what the dates have been in previous years, but it just made me think like the earth doesn't have enough to produce in the next year, all the resources that we just use. I'm just kind of like blown by that. Um, so I just think there's a lot going on on the planet. So yeah, that's that. (laughs) 
And I wanted to add one more thing. You know, I think about um, certain professions that um, are facing this time that, you know, might have some additional mental health um, things related to their profession. Certainly health, um, health folks who are making these tough decisions um, in the hospitals and doctor's offices um, and education folks, you know, teachers who, teachers and other school folks who are um, having to like grapple with some of the things that the youth are bringing into schools. And there's probably other professions that I'm not thinking about, but you know, those in particular. Yeah, um, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. I know, I know we just came with the... <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I just... Fire on you right now. <laughs> what? No, and, I mean... And, Go ahead. And, oh, and I, and I was just gonna say, I don't, I don't want you to feel the need to, like, address all of this, because this is literally three different therapy sessions. This is this is three different paychecks for you. So don't, <laughs> don't even feel the need just you know whatever you know whatever comes to your mind and maybe you can even share just your experiences with you know with um you know with you know with COVID and what's been happening you know what I'm saying for you doc yeah I just I mean I I feel compelled for a deep breath for all of us to just kind of take in mm. <sighs> Take in all of the um, and have reverence for um, all of that that you just talked about. The losses, the um, changes, the um, uncertainty, the ways that the world has shifted and it has not been comfortable and it has been harmful or even painful to you. Um, I just acknowledge it. I recognize that it's probably one of the most difficult things for you to encounter and to work through. Because in order for us to move through, there's meaning that has to be created within our bodies, within our brains, within our soul. And sometimes, not often, but sometimes there are moments where there is no meaning. Mm attach itself to the circumstances of our life and so we just take a deep breath and we make space for it and we mourn and we um, feel all the feelings and we um, let them rest and find their resting position in us so that we can move forward um, I think one of the, the largest things that has been um, just reverberating through all of my work and all these spaces that I've been in is just loss. If there was a word for 2020, it would be loss. Mm. Uh, loss of our schedules, loss of our outlets, loss of our family, loss of our friends, loss of our world, loss of um, consciousness, loss of... Um, our stability, loss of our power, loss of um, how we make sense of the world in our community, right? Loss of our safety, loss of security. So much loss that the world I think is going through. 
Mm -hmm. that you are going through, that I am going through. And so there is a need and a requirement for pause in the moments where you're experiencing so much loss. There is no push through, keep it moving. Let's just do what we need to do. Suck it up. Don't feel it. You're, you're being too soft. Being weak. There is none of that. Because literally, when we are experiencing loss, we're shedding. Things are coming off. We cannot add and lose at the same time. And so there has to be a moment of pause and reflection and just rest to gather ourselves in these moments. And so um, what I have been trying to wrap words around, which has been really difficult, is how we make sense of loss, how we make sense of the things that are uncertain when there has never been a time in history ever where there has been a global pandemic paired with a globalized pause and stop. Every nation, every continent, every place in the world stopped. There's never been a time that that's happened. And all the cascading losses, all the cask of our economic systems, of our uh, social systems, of our, again, our consciousness and security, there's never been a time that that's happened. And so however you're making sense of this, however you're coping, it is sufficient. You've never done this before. You don't know how to do this. Neither do I. Right? How many pandemics have you been in? I, I haven't been in any. <laughs> right? Right? So... <laughs> How the hell would we know how to do this? We wouldn't. We don't. We, we don't know how to do this. And so we're doing our best to just day by day, moment by moment, stay alive. That is a full circle, total body experience to just be alive right now. Yeah. That's work. And so check the box. You've done work today. Right? Make sure that you're not too hard on yourself because yourself is literally trying to make sense of this still. It's still loading, right? And then also for you to recognize that wherever there is loss, there's transformation. There's an opportunity for transformation. There's an opportunity for us to shed again in order for us to rebirth, in order for us to um, generate life, generate new ideas generate coping strategies, but it's going to be unique for each and every person. And so giving yourself the benefit of the doubt in being in a situation in a time you've never ever experienced before allows us to have the grace and compassion, right? To generate what we will need in this moment of resilience, mm -hmm. right? I think for, for all of us, um, in some way that kind of sums up the world, but then also it, there, are, there are not enough words to express the uniqueness and the nuanced nature of the pain that you're going through. Mm -hmm. And so you are the only person that can do that time with yourself to pause and reset allows you to make space for creating language around what you're feeling. Mm. And so I hope that you're finding time to do that. And that's just for you three 
yes, people are watching, but I say that to you, that you're making space to really honor with the, the utmost reverence and, and, and sacredness what this body and being has been through in the past six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's astounding. Yeah. Right? It's astounding. And so that's, I think that's where we start. There's so many other things I can say and I wanna keep going in the conversation, but I think that's important just for us for in this room, <laughs> right? To, in response to all the things that you have um, bravely, I think, shared in this moment to really just make sense of what has happened, where are we, and what does that mean? Ooh. Getting a little, I got a little something over here, a little bit, man. <laughs> all like, all real, bro. Like, just, I, I know, I know. For some, I don't know. Some, some of us really feel like we going crazy for real. <laughs> like we really yeah. feel like we going crazy. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And I, I think, I definitely think social media, a place where we get our information. I think we're we are part of a generation that is an information overload. I know you probably talk about that maybe in your sessions, just information overload of just everything just coming at you all at once. You know what I'm saying? Um but you need some of it. Mm. And then some of it you don't. But then all of it is kind of disrupting your emotional and mental health. You know? So I don't know. Just trying to balance that I think is something that I think a lot of people might be struggling with too. Yeah, it is It is probably top two of <laughs> the things I talk about in sessions daily. Um, the hyper-connectivity of, so, of social media technology in general is literally rewiring our brains. Mm-hmm. And that is not in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, there, There's so much research that talks about Um, our ability to access this prefrontal cortex, which really has the capacity to have rational thoughts, empathy, can really distinguish between important things, has the peripheral thinking, right? I can grab other concepts and and inform, make them inform my decision-making and things like that, Um, is largely being affected by by social media. and so what I have been talking to a lot of people about is that you are a part of the process, whether you are plugged into your, your phone and your device or not. That does, does not define your activism. The fact that you saw the latest story, it, it does not. Um, what does define your, your activism is your capacity to participate. You cannot participate if you are not well. Mm-hmm. And so being able to have a, um, a social media diet, as you were, as I talk about, or have a hygiene around social media is really important. Get your stories, get the understanding, get the news. Sometimes you have to rework where you get news from. That's another thing. <laughs> but um, sometimes you have to read the story and not watch the video. It depends on your body, your system, and how it's affecting you. Um, get your stories, get the information, and then log off. Let your brain make sense of it. It can do it if you allow it to. And so what do I want to do in response to this new information? Creativity sometimes is is thwarted by our technology telling us how 
what what the what the uh, problem is and the answer mm. you can get the answer grab the problem first log off take some moments to ground yourself in what you just read have seen have experienced and then think about what is my individual response to this right do i want to do this more do i want to do this less how can I impact this, this subject matter and this, this particular uh, event that's happening this weekend? Can I actually go to a protest? Am I, am I emotionally uh, stable enough to do that? Or do mm -hmm. I need to send money? Or do I need to make sure that I pick up three of my friends in this location at the end of it? That's my contribution for today and that's okay. Sometimes people find themselves going and doing things or being a part of these, these experiences online and re-traumatizing themselves. Mm -hmm. And therefore now putting a, 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 another mental and emotional assault upon this black body in order to support another. And that in, in and of itself is a problem, <laughs> right? Wow. And so how do we, how do we, um, create hygiene and diet around our intake, listening to our bodies, making sure that you have a wellness plan around how you will engage, especially if you're an activist, there needs to be a corresponding wellness plan of how you take care of this particular black body in light of these events in close proximity to things that are, that are continually harmful to your emotional health. I wanna hear more about the wellness plan. Yeah, I do too. When you said corresponding wellness plan, I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. What does that look like? Yeah, well, I've had to develop, I, I work with some activists in, in the city, in this city, um, in, in New York City, um, and, 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 and nationally, right, that, that have very big platforms and have to engage. Their job is to engage, <laughs> right? And so that is a really hard thing to do all the time, especially when the concern is intricately, you know, connected to your identity. Um, and so some wellness plans really look like, first of all, acknowledging and being clear about your own mental health. Do you have depression? Do you have anxiety? What pre-existing pre conditions do you have that this could exacerbate, right? How do I feel after I engage? Let me check in. Do I, have, do I have tension in my muscle fibers? Do I find myself tensing? Are, is my jaw clenched, right? Can I not sleep every night that I go on these binges and I watch all the stories and all the videos? Can I, can I sleep at night, mm. right? So it, it, that, that assessment, that self-assessment is important, right? In order to acknowledge and become aware of what you're actually, how you're being affected by these things. And then on top of that, how do I now engage while caring for myself. And mm -hmm. so there's going to be a tiered plan of how that looks, right? So again, if you're a person, I work with some protesters, they go to, that, that is their job, they go to protest, okay? So in what way am I going to engage in this, right? Again, do I'm going to do at least, I might do four in, in a month, I got four, I got four good for protested me, <laughs> right? And so when I get to the fifth, that's when I need to call my therapist and have an emergency session typically, right? And so we, we assess that, we recognize that. And so we're going to engage in those four. And in what way are we going to do that? 
do we need do we need silence afterwards? Do we need moments of debriefing? Do I need a journal? Do I need to um, actually talk to another person that was there and it helps me to get some of my emotions and frustration out, right? Um, do I need to, um, after I've been on social media and I'm engaging, I'm posting and I'm doing all these things, do what are three self-care practices that help me actually decompress and get some of the tension out of my body? right? Whether that be exercise, whether that be meditation, whether that be um, being able to actually have physical touch. Sometimes people need an actual physical holding that allows them to rest and relax and feel secure physically, even though societally we may not feel secure, right? So it, it really just depends on the person and it, it needs to be nuanced and unique to your experience, but hopefully in some way there is some plan around it. Mm. <laughs> oh no, this is good. I just, I just had, I was, I'm over here mm, and on, but I got my co-host over here, so I ain't want her to be interrupting. <laughs> so I had to put you on mute. I mean, I had to put me on mute, but I was just like, listen, I'm, yeah. I'm taking it all in. I'm getting all these nuggets, and I'm glad I'm recording it so I can go back and just meditate on this this is wow yeah this is it yeah I, I i really appreciate you just sharing the idea of the wellness plan and i feel like so many of us coming out of this summer and everything that was happening with that having to look at the pandemic and then um the summer protests later on top of that and so now we're about to go into the fall where a lot of people are returning to school um, and at the same time while children are supposed to be returning to school also you know you have adult learners like our PhD candidate over here so it's like there are adult learners trying to go return to school in this new form as well as still trying to either be parents and work and work and then also be teacher parents parent teachers and then also trying to work and then be this on there's so much happening can you what like, what can you, what do you think people can anticipate in this fall in terms of like what feelings might begin to arise and how they can perhaps get ahead of some of the things that you expect to possibly be mental challenges coming up or emotional challenges? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that fear, fear of um, powerlessness is, is the biggest one, <laughs> right? That we don't like to not be in control. Mm -hmm. We don't like to have our power taken from us. And sometimes our power really is associated with our schedules and our ab ability to master things, uh, to accomplish things, to get down the to-do list, to feel as though we um, completed something well or we perfected a thing. And so in these environments where there are multiple shifting um, shifting areas and spectrums within our life, it is sometimes almost impossible to have the consistency, stability that we're used to. And so mm -hmm. it's going to be really important for us to, this is going to sound funny, lower our standards. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, wow. Lower your standards. Moms out that's there, so you're not, right? Well, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, don't want to interrupt, but that is, that's almost the antithesis to what yes. we are asked to do in our careers. Correct. That's, Absolutely. that's like, that goes against everything we learned in grad school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even as black people, like, you know, twice as good. But not just that. 
it goes against one of the tenets of uh, white supremacy culture, which we are in, which is perfectionism. Yeah. So yeah. that is like, that's part of our, our water that we swim in. And so that is like the antithesis of that. And also the capitalistic mindset as well, that we need to be performing at a certain level. And so yes. that right there is a completely countercultural and counterintuitive idea. Please say more. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I preface it by saying, this is gonna this is not gonna you're not gonna digest this well but listen right. follow follow the preacher right so right, right, right. in some way it's gonna be really important for you to lower your standards you're a human that's trying to make sense of things moment by moment and there is no manual for this you are making the manual as you go and so it's going to be really important for you. It could be a mom out there that is trying to be a teacher, trying to set up the, the classroom in the house, as well as, you know, make sure that she's um, doing her side hustle and then taking care of her husband and then making sure she goes to work and like all of the laundry and it, it, it won't all get done. Mm. That's okay. It won't all get done. Let me put that in the it chat. It won't. I it won't. Let, me, <laughs> let me throw that in these comments. Uh, it won't all get done. It won't, it won't all get done, and that's okay. We're okay, right? And so, in some way, you're going to have to really become that 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 inner parent, that reparenting process of it's okay. We're okay, right? That yes, the dishes might not be every night anymore. Yeah, we might have to start using the dishwasher, Black people. Really, yes, yes. Your your kids may have to use the dishwasher <laughs> in this generation. And that's against Black life. You know, Black. <laughs> Listen. I love me a dishwasher. We have we have a family cut on that dishwasher <laughs> until me and my sister left the house. Right? <laughs> Right? Right? I still don't use my dishwasher. We have officially crossed the line for me. <laughs> I can't do this. This is right? look, doc. I got all the other stuff, all the psychotherapy, but when you get the dishwasher thing, that was too much. It's so real. It's okay. so real, right? You crossed it's the line. So real, like it's okay. Listen, it is okay, right? We, uh, you know, there was a person that recently. I, 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 I basically had to make a case for why this person needed a housekeeper. I'm like, it's just not, literally, it's not possible. Mm -hmm. All the things that you're mm -hmm. doing, all of the ways that the world has taught you that you must show up, it is not possible for this human frail being. That's right. And so in order for us to get to the destination, it doesn't matter that we do it all ourselves. It just matters that we get there. That we get there. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so what yeah. you'll need is to lower your standards, but also to expand your resources in order to be able to get this done. Allow for community. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yes, expand your resources. Make sure you're relying on the people that are near you. Being able to give yourself compassion all along the way is going to be really important as well. And so I think of people this, this fall are, are really going to be dealing with similar things as they were in the summer, that uncertainty, that sense of loss, um, powerlessness, um, but then also really having, having to renegotiate the essentials in their life. Not everything is essential. It is very difficult, I think, in, in, in kind of the first world space to not see that as true. Um, but it is. We might have to lower the, um, the expectations that we have for our children. They are also going through a pandemic, wow. a social uprising, yeah. 
a, a lack of resources, no outlets or social, social interaction and connection as healing, they are going through it too. Right. Yeah. And so, yes, they might be angry, frustrated, restless, uh, you know, acting a little crazy. Yes. Because <laughs> you are too. <laughs> right. And so how, how can we, as a, as a collective, lower the standards, right, in order mm. to be efficient in the reality of what this is, right? And knowing that it's enough. It's enough that we're alive and we're okay. Mm. It's enough that we got, we got maybe half of the things on the list while living in a pandemic and a social uprising and you're checking stuff off a list, chick, you're killing it. Like what? Mm. You know, being able to recognize in this space that when you're going back to school, school is typically, it's macrocosm, but then it's also microcosm. It's a part of your social environment that teaches you as you're growing up, your child in your childhood development is teaching you about who you are, mm. what you see in life, what to expect from the world, your own capacities. These are the things that you learn in school, in school environments. And so the fact that kids are going back to school, sometimes physically, with a saturation of uncertainty that's never been known, <laughs> right? In some way, your children will need a high level of support, compassion, and, mm. and security, safety holding at home. Right. Because school may not be that for them this fall. And 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 then, especially with oh, I'm sorry, somebody going. I was just going to add something, yeah, just bad. like from the education side of of. <laughs> the, um, so I I feel like there are some parents who because there is like now this mechanism for school to be online that their expectations are that this is going to be a normal school year, just online. Like the students are still going to learn. They're still going to, you know, and, and I think that, you know, just that advice of lowering your, what did you say? Your expectations or standards? Standards. Standards. Oh, standards, standards, standards. Yeah. Lowering the standards of what school will be this year for kids, I think is so important. Like, mm -hmm. I am thankful that I don't have kids who are going through this scenario, but when my friends or colleagues or anyone who is a parent asks me my opinion, I say, think about it as a gap year. Like your kid is gonna learn stuff at home <laughs> as you are, you know, as you're cooking food and y'all are doing measurements, like that's math. If you're going to the store and you're adding up, you know, two for a dollar versus three for two dollars like that's math you know um it, as you're reading street signs and go like that's english like start to think of it more as a gap year and how some of these everyday behaviors that you're going to be doing anyway um yes. will fill some of the the knowledge gaps that a kid would normally get in school um because the idea that this will just be a normal school year just via zoom or whatever else whatever sort of tool um is unrealistic it's unrealistic for the students it's unrealistic for school staff um 
and it puts a lot of unnecessary pressures and burdens um, on, on, both, on both sets of people. And it puts pressure on the parents because then I think a lot of parents will be feeling like, what am I doing wrong as a parent where my kid is not meeting these certain benchmarks? Yeah. You know, I think about parents who think, well, if my kid doesn't do X, Y, and Z, then they're not going to be ready for college and, you know, they're not going to get in. And I'm like, well, well, guess what? Everybody who was in third grade in 2020 is experiencing the same thing. Everybody who was a junior in 2020, like all you have to do is put on your application. I was a junior in 2020. 2020. Admissions officer will understand what that means because right. they were doing admissions in 2020, so they get right. it. You know, yeah. schools schools are responding to this crisis. Not, I mean, don't get me on my soapbox on like how they could be doing it better, but you know, I, I just think to lower the standards as far as what education looks like this year mm-hmm. is another part of of this conversation, right? And so, mm-hmm. just like Jackie was saying. Now your life becomes the education. Parents that feel extremely overwhelmed in this moment, your life is education. Mm. Everything that you do with your children day to day is a part of curriculum. And so beginning to see it that way minimizes that, that anxiety that comes in that I have to now also, that standard is I have to be an educator too now on top of my nine to five and then also a parent. No, you don't. That's right. You don't You're have not a right. You are a parent that happens to know a great deal about living life. And mm-hmm. so utilize your awareness and your education that you received in order to make sense of um, the plan that you will have for, for the children at home. But again, we're all going through this together. And so being able to have spaces where your children can talk about this is going to be really important. I encourage whether it be at least once a week, the family getting together and talking about, so how's everybody? Let's check in. Yeah, check in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let Let everybody just do a quick check in. Yeah. Let's check in because we are in a, like, I want us to recognize that we are literally, it's not, we are, we are not working from home. We are literally in a crisis. Crisis. We crisis mode. Trying to work while at home. Right. And so it's really important that that is the main thing. We're in crisis mm-hmm. trying to work while at home. Mm-hmm. And so we're doing our level best. We're doing everything that we can in the situation, but it's not going to be to the level that we have in our minds. Therefore, we shouldn't punish ourselves and keep ourselves to a standard that does not exist in this season. Check in in the evenings with your kids. Check in week to week as your children are struggling affirm them. This is really hard, isn't it? This is so, like, it is so hard. And mommy didn't know the math thing. And that was really hard. And, and then also, yeah, daddy got frustrated because he walked in on the zoom meeting. Like, I'm, you know, let's talk about all these things, right? Like, it's, it's tough, but we can have safe space together. I would, I love everything that all of you all said, and I would love to just try to do a recap for anyone listening um, and for just all of us. And so I've been taking notes just to see if I can just kind of summarize these points. And I just want both everyone to just see if I kind of captured it. And so uh, the question that I asked basically was what mental or emotional challenges can we expect to arise in the fall for all of us? And 
our answer uh, was a sense of powerlessness and how do we manage that? Manage that by lowering your standards, um, expanding your resources and leaning into your community, renegotiating your essentials, lowering your expectations of loved ones, that's including children, spouses, relatives, friends, everybody. <laughs> um, reminding yourself that being alive is enough and being compassionate to yourself. And then lastly, it seems, is checking in with loved ones and affirming them as well as affirming yourself. Beautiful, yes. Capture it? Okay. I'm keeping that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I want to keep that everywhere. And I'm putting that in the comments. Yeah, throw that in these comments because that's, I mean, we got a, we got a lot of comments actually. Oh, beautiful. Uh, so people are just, people are just talking. I'm trying to see, I think somebody mm -hmm. just, oh, oh, okay, yeah, this Amber just put it in the comment. But yeah, that is, um, and, and, and one thing, when you talked about that gap year, I thought about that Blackish episode where uh, where the son wanted to take a gap year, <laughs> told his daddy, and he was, he was like, yeah, I, I think he got into Howard, he got into these schools, and he was like, I think I want to do a gap year. And he was like, what? You, we Black, we don't do no gap year. Like, you going to, you know what I'm saying? You going to college, you going to whoever. And he was like, Malia Obama did it. He was like, you ain't Malia Obama. You know what I'm saying? Like, you ain't the, the kid of a president. So, I mean, but if you think about it, like, when you said gap year, I was like, I, I responded, like, how did that? Like, ain't nobody doing no gap year, though. <laughs> you know, we, no, we rolling. Like, my daughter rolling. We, we, mm -hmm. we what, what, what you need to learn by three, what you need to learn by four, like, that's what we own. And so my mind immediately went there. So there are these cultural disconnections mm -hmm. that we have from that's things true. that we kind of say, oh, that's white people stuff. Oh, that's white people who be backpacking across Europe and taking gap years and stuff. Because, mm -hmm. because the reality is, for us, we don't have the social safety net they have. Mm -hmm. For, for mm -hmm. us, we don't have the type of privileges they have to be able to take gap years and have that moment in your 20s where you tripping, but then you can come back and bounce back and do, 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 you see, now some of us can and some of us do it, but it's, it's a lot more, we don't have as much to lose, not because of us personally, but because society, right? Yes. There, there, there's a small window, there, there, there are few opportunities, unfortunately, for black people. Now, of course, it's gotten better over the generations, but still in compared to our white counterparts we don't have a lot of opportunities and so a lot of times that's how our parents and sometimes us as parents and as mentors and as you know sometimes that's how we how we look at that like we that's that's for them that's for those rich people who be who got money and can do all this we uh-uh we gotta we gotta get this done why because just like the old saying that we hear in our communities we got to be twice as good to get half of what they got. And, and, and I'm starting to reconsider that. I'm, I don't know how much I like feeding that to myself and feeding that to these, you know, to the next generation. I understand from that generation that was coming out of, right. you know, segregation. I understand why they, but now I'm starting to, I'm like, I don't know how much I like that. I don't know how much I like to feed that, that narrative. You got, but, but that's what we grew up on. We grew up on those kind of those kinds of I, I think the term is adages or whatever that you know you got to be you got to be twice as good to get half as much. So so for us it's like oh white people 
white people can go to therapy and white people can say, oh, I'm not feeling well. Oh, this is hurting me. Oh, I need a gap year, my mental health. And black folks, mm-mm, you, you better pray about it. You know, we, I, I got $150. You can do two, two therapy sessions or one with a really good one. And then you got to keep it moving. Because <laughs> we don't wow. we, 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 we got to be better. We got to be. And, and honestly, Aquia, that's a reality. Like, like, that's a, like, that's a reality. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's so difficult for us to accept yeah. that. You know what I'm saying? But we have yeah. to. We have to, we have to re, reimagine mm-hmm. us and we have yeah. to reimagine black success. We have to reimagine what that looks like and the road to that, because maybe what they were teaching us, the road to that, you, you know, maybe we sacrifice our, our parents sacrificed their emotional health and their mental health. And maybe that's why they weren't as happy as, yes. you know, they, they could have been. Mm-hmm. Our generation and for the next generation, maybe we can, we can reimagine that and, and, and yeah. you know, and see what that looks like. I don't know. Those are some, some things that came to my mind. I love all of that. You are literally tap dancing on mm-hmm. <laughs> Dr. Joy DeCrew, De I think is her, is her name, uh, her research on post-traumatic slave syndrome. Yeah. And just the, the narratives, we have a, we have a culture of of, of narrative being the legacy, right? That we pass down um, the, the story of who we are, what we do, how we do that. And sometimes it has not um, made space for our mental health um, outside of survival. Mm-hmm. And so for us, how a person or how a human makes sense of their world in survival is quite different than they would make sense of their world if they were not in survival. And so we have learned narratives of survival, which is extremely necessary, unfortunately, in our environment. We have to learn that. We've got to learn when we go out and, you know, the cops stop you and what are you going to do and how do you behave, right? So we have to learn these things because we need to survive. I believe that this, this generation has a unique advantage, uh, if there is an advantage, a unique advantage of being able to nuance, nuance that with the privilege of mental health, the privilege of emotional health. And I, yes, and I often tell people that first generation therapy going black people, you are standing on the shoulders of someone that was not able to literally consider how they might feel after something has happened to them that's traumatic. They did not have the capacity possibly based on the lifestyle, based on the societal um, constraints. They did not have that. We have that now. They did not have as many black practitioners. And so basically, if you do talk about how you feel in a therapeutic context, it actually might have meant your life. So yes, we don't do that because there is a white man that you go and talk to, that's therapy. We don't do that, that is, a, that is dangerous. That's not our world anymore. I am a therapist, I am not a white man. There is safety for you, there is space for you. There is an official, actual space in therapy for you that we have the privilege, 
privilege and luxury of being able to do. And hopefully through resources that we've created in the mental health field, and we're hopefully doing our job to do that, to make it um, accessible to more people. It is not a luxury, it is your right as a human being. It is to have dignity, to be able to, to um, share your concerns. It is a part of your heritage to do that. It is not anti-Black. It is a part of your heritage to make sense of, to reason with, to make space for and support who you are, including your Blackness. That's a part of your legacy. That is a part of your ancestry. Wow. Make yeah. space for it. That's, that's going to be the, that, that's going to be what I use on the IG. <laughs> that's, that was that's it. it. That's it. It's true. It is your, it's your heritage. It is your, it is who you are to make sense of your reaction. Oh yes. Yes. When I was in, I, I visited, um, it's not the village, it's not the village of my grandfather, but it was, it was the village of my grandmother's family um, in Kumasi, Ghana. There is a man there and it's been for 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 centuries there is a a person designated in the village that people when they have concerns or issues they go to this person the family literally the family goes and sits in this person's presence and they talk about the things that are going on to be able to find make sense of it make meaning around it hopefully try to a uh, pathway forward understand themselves in a deeper way. He's not called a psychologist, but that is a part of our process. That's what we do. It's been this way for, for forever. We just call it this now, but it's still a part of who you are. It's your right. I love that. I, and I love that you just called, called people first generation therapy goers. Oh. That's crucial to me, like as a population, because there are resources and there's conversations out there about like first generation college graduates. I feel like that's typically the, the only time I actually hear that term first gen. And so to hear like this, it's just like first generation individuals going to therapy. That's significant because that's literally the people who are standing in the gap of breaking the cycles of trauma, abuse everything in their families and that that first gen is just so important because of the type of support that they need so thank you for sh just you know framing that that's really blowing me away about just the types the, the unique supports that those individuals need and i think right now within this millennial generation in particular i feel like a lot of us are becoming that first gen because therapy is finally beginning to be normalized normalized and destigmatized in the black community um, and I think that, and it's becoming more accessible in different ways too, because as more um, people of the, of the diaspora are becoming edu educated in the, the psychotherapist field, then we begin to trust more people there. And so I feel like that's happening with, with that, you know, credentialing and then with the destigmatizing, we're beginning to get access to therapy in a different way. And we're becoming that first gen. Um, and hopefully, you know, we raise children who, feel like therapy is as simple as the, you know, a check-in, like a doctor's check-in, like it, it, it's common. It's, it's a, it's a checkup, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's really powerful to me as it, as just a, another way of describing our generation. So thank you for that. Cause that's just, that's like whoosh for me. I love, I really appreciate that. We're finding mm -hmm. that 
intergenerational trauma, right? That there is a part of our DNA that is allocated for trauma that we pass down. When we've experienced a, tra a trauma, we can actually pass that down to the next generation within our DNA. And so being able to heal from trauma, being able to find these new ways of being, being heard in therapy, being valued, being seen, integrating pain and, um, and resilience together changes your life. However, most importantly, it changes your family, the lineage of your, of your people. It will change us because it, we have the power to also rewrite that genome, right? And so being able to, to make these changes are so significant. You pass that on to your children. Your children will pass on a different DNA to their children, one that is um, not riddled with the trauma, but really a, the parts of it have been healed. And so um, the reality is just quite different moving forward. And so wherever we can humanize ourselves, right, by allowing us to know that we have a right to be heard, to be seen, to be valued, it's not somebody else's life. No, we get to have all these things. It's a part of who we are too. So in the same way that we can transfer heat, transfer trauma in yes. our DNA, this moment, the decisions that we make yes. can ultimately transfer healing in that same DNA. That's beautiful. Wow. That's not talked about enough. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Yes, it is probably one of the most powerful research studies I've ever read. And literally, oh, I gotta write that down. And it's just so divine and so beautiful um, that we're able to really just there. There are ways for us to create create healing, long term. Wow! Listen, <laughs> this thing here. I don't even know what to say, y'all. This was right? so. This was so needed. Um, Dr. Aquia Whiten. Yes. Yo, tell the people where they can reach you. Tell the people where they can. About to go find you right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, on social media and Instagram, you can find me at Aquia K. Boiten. Um, that's A K U A K B O A T E N G. And also my website, aquiakbwatson.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, not as often, but my same name. And um, you can, if you're looking for services, you can call my office um, or reach me through my website. And um, if I'm not able to see you, I will refer you to someone um, that is in your area. Are you doing virtual um, sessions now or are you doing in office? <laughs> I'm doing all virtual therapy at this time um and i don't have a date of going back just yet as most people don't but all virtual therapy right now are you certified for georgia because that's that's <laughs> you know i don't i don't know if i have a license so at the beginning of COVID, i, I got some emergency licenses in different places new york washington o ohio um i i don't i don't recall i can check on georgia I don't know if I have a license for Georgia, to be honest. 
Listen, it. that okay. license, man, you know me. I'll be like, man, that's white people stuff. Look. <laughs> it's true. I, I blame everything on white people. I'll be like, that's white people stuff. License, don't right care. But I guess it's real thing. some way to have licenses to something. Credentialing, and that's that's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I I don't know. I feel just 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 the love. I mean, just what you've been, what you dropped on us, you know, is just so powerful. And for anybody listening, you know what I mean. Everybody who's tuned in, anybody who's gonna, you know, watch watch the final version after we, you know, edit and put it on YouTube and all of that. Um, you know, if you need services, if you need somebody to rap with, talk to, um, therapy sessions, if you want to begin your own therapy sessions, we have, uh, Dr. Aquia K. Whiteson right here that clearly is just phenomenal, um, and has a passion for this. Um, she talked about earlier, this is another thing, I'm, I'm not going to prolong it, but just talked about like how, I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I'll be talking too much, I'm sorry, <laughs> I know, but, but but talked about how she was put on this earth for this. You know what I'm saying? And those are kind of people, I, I, I need people who like, I was put on earth for this. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, those are kind of people, that, that's, that's your Jordans, your Ali's, your LeBron's. You know what I'm saying? Like they made for this moment. When, when Mordecai told Esther, you was made for a time like this. Like those are kind of people that end up changing lives and changing the trajectory of history, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, Aquia talked about that earlier, man. Like she was made for this. So you, 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 you need that kind of therapy. You need that kind of counseling. You want to go in that direction. You want to go in the right direction that's real for you. That's the kind of person you need to link yourself to right there. Somebody who's made for this. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, thank you. Okay, thank you so thing. much. Oh, oh, go. One more thing. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. I want people to get therapy at all costs, mm -hmm. right? And so there are resources out there that if you are not able to afford therapy and you need free therapy right now as a, as a result of COVID, racial uprising, um, job loss, there are so many resources. One of them, or two of them that I've been a part of, one, Taraji P. Henson's um, foundation, her nonprofit, nonprofit foundation has free services, the Boris Henson Foundation, and then also Dark Beauty Healing Network, um, they have free resources for women of color. Um, and of course, there are so many that are popping out. The Loveland Foundation, no matter what your cost, no matter what's going on, you can find resources. Oh, that's so, that's so good. That's so yeah. good. And, and there's one in Philly, Black Men Heal, right? Don't they have, I know that's. Black, I, yes, Black Men Heal. To Philly. There, therapy for, for Black girls, therapy, therapy for Black men. There's so many. Mm -hmm. find somebody in your area right so if finances is an issue though those are just some resources and definitely google find out some some other places check your insurance your insurance you might not even know it might offer you a couple of sessions for free yeah. um so yeah just do that but but this is this is what it is so thank you so much oh man this is this has been oh did anybody else have any other comments or questions mm -hmm. thoughts beautiful this has been amazing thank you for having me i appreciate it It was fun street academy so podcast where we keep one foot in the academy one foot in the streets all hearts and minds clear yes hey, we out bye but you know got their feet upon the neck of the haters the game and the devil like came in